Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I have taken uh, up intentionally swearing as part of my classroom management technique. And I don't know if my uh, supervisors would uh, frown on this or not, but like finding that particular moment when you really want to pound a, a point home and take that uh, moment to drop an F-bomb or something. Oh. Super effective with teenagers. I um, can imagine. Do you get gasps? Yeah. I, you, and like usually you, I make a big deal. I would be like, and you know, pardon my French, but we better effing do it this time. Except I don't oh, say effing. Yeah. yeah. You say fudging. That's it. I say fudging. This is our, our way to keep the explicit tag off of our musical theater podcast. Yeah. Fudge yeah. Will somebody get us another drink? Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theater Happy Hour. I'm Tommy. And I'm Jimmy. And this is the only musical theater podcast with tap dancing and tap water. Here, we take apart your favorite shows, muddle them together with a shot of buffoonery, and pour you a refreshing glass of musical theater conversation. Jimmy, what are you drinking today? Well, Tommy, I was feeling healthy, so I got a bunch of radishes, I blended them together with some yogurt, and made a delicious radish smoothie. That sounds obscenely disgusting. It was. (laughs) Why on earth are you drinking that? Well, Tommy, I have a quiz question to tell you. I'm excited to Um, hear it. Okay. What show is the world's longest-running musical? Quite, quite some, quite some different answers we got are centered around this one. We did. A lot of people were perplexed by the simplicity, <laughs> <laughs> which speaks to the themes of this show. And what show is it, Jimmy? Oh, stunning! It is the Fantastics. Fantastic, Jimmy. I used to hate this musical. When did you change your mind? Uh, high school, probably. But like the first few times I listened to it, it wasn't for me. I completely understand. (laughs) 
Um, so The Fantastics has music by Harvey Schmidt and book and lyrics by Tom Jones. And Spotify does not understand <laughs> that this Tom Jones really is different from the other Tom Jones. And so when I finish listening to The Fantastics, why, why, yeah, why, like it, the, it, it gently, gently ends and then it goes, da, da, da. it's not unusual to be loved by anyone, it's which so is good. a really apt way to end the show. But no, different Tom Jones. Um, it, mm-hmm. I knew this. I knew it wasn't him. But still, I I got confused occasionally. <laughs> it is it is one of those things that I know I have Googled on several occasions because I've been like, no, 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 they're different Tom Joneses, right? And then right? I like ha- and like Spotify came again on again with you know it's not unusual or whatever Tom Jones song, and I was like, exactly. wait, no, they're different. I thought they were different, and I Google it like, yeah, they are different, but they are different. First sidebar of the podcast: Do you mm-hmm. have Tom Jones in the states? Like it's not unusual and. He's got a bunch of other songs that I'm sure I'd recognize. I just sung one of them beautifully to you. Uh, yeah. Uh, why, 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 Delilah? Oh, 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 Delilah. It. Whatever that one is. Why, 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 yeah. All right. Um, yeah, Tom Jones is great. He's Welsh. Yeah. He's Welsh. I am. Do you think this Tom Jones is Welsh too? Um, no. <laughs> no, I think he's from Texas. But The Fantastics is the longest running musical of all time. Bum, um, bum. Bye. I know. It opened off Broadway on May 3rd, 1960, and closed January 13th, 2002, after 17,162 performances. 17,000. That's just unreal. It's bonkers. For a long time, was unrivaled, um, but Phantom is hot on its heels right now. It is. It is. It's around 13,000 performances at the moment yeah and an average broadway show does about 400 performances a year so we're that thirteen thousand number i got from a may article from 2019 Um, right so by may of 2020 there might be a lot of articles about unseating the fantastics Yes, it's coming. Because there's no way Phantom's closing anytime soon. No, exactly. And like whatever the next runner-up was on the Broadway list uh, is at something like 9,000 too. So Mm -hmm. Phantom would still have to be closed for quite some time for whatever is next to catch up to it. Exactly. Um, And we saw the Fantastics over here in the UK in the 60s, but for a much, much shorter time. Yes. and uh, it got revived in 2006. And Which, then again. Again, played for a surprisingly long time for a 2006 yes. off-Broadway show. It closed in 2017 after 11 years. Absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. Um, so this crazily successful show um, basically uh, tells the tale um, in a very telling the tale way <laughs> of Matt and Louisa, uh, who are two young lovers. And they basically kind of go on a journey fall in love um and then fall out of love and learn the ways of the world yeah that's a good way to put it i mean this is you know fantastics is a retelling of a myth and i think the myth that it retells is one of the oldest contemporary myths of our time Mm. um which I think is why it resonates with people. But it also, it features their, both of their fathers, um, Huckabee and Bellamy. Um, Bellamy? Bellamy? I don't know if they ever Bellamy. say it. Did they say his name in the show? I'm trying to think back. Uh, I don't know, but we said Bellamy when we did it. There we go. Um, who, at the beginning of the show at least, manufacture a feud in order to get their children to fall in love with each other. Um, 
also central to the story is El Gallo, who is a yes. uh, a Zorro styled <laughs> ne'er do well narrator person who manufactures a an abduction to get the boy to reign triumphant and you know convince like play on the story that all of this uh, that this feuding came out in some way. Um, and El Gallo yes. also serves as like a, a somewhat magical narrator force puppet master yeah. style um, um there's also uh two kind of hapless actors who <laughs> el gallo enlist to help yes. his abduction and there's also a mute mime mm-hmm. who's just kind of there all the time yes doing stuff well i can't wait to tell you about the mute in the movie jimmy um, oh, that's exciting! I'm surprised you made it. Oh, oh, <laughs> so wait! Other characters got cut. So. Oh well, uh, well, yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, okay. Exciting. But before we get to that, should we talk about? I think this show's shining ach- ach- achievement. It's shining achievement. <laughs> shining achievement. A shining achievement is how long it ran. Do you want to talk about it? You don't do enough voices. I love here that. We, that's a here good we voice. go. Well, I'm going to do it the rest of the show. <laughs> Yay! The show. You are love. Better far than a metaphor can ever, ever be. Love, you are love. My mystery of love. You are Polaris, the one trustworthy star. You are, you are. September, a special mystery to me, to me. You are sunlight, moonlight, mountains, valleys, the microscopic inside of a leaf. My joy, my grief, my star, my I'm not going to do it. Excellent, excellent stuff. (laughs) Um, So, seventeen thousand performances, over seventy thousand performances. Yeah. Why the hell was it so successful, Tommy? It's so crazy. An answer. You want to? Well, I. I, They. There's a fantastic. um, A fantastic wink, um, which happens a lot in this documentary. Um, There's a great documentary. Uh, that I didn't even know existed until I started doing research about this. And it's one of those ones that's on, like, you can watch. I don't think it's free on YouTube, but it's, like, free on all those non all those other streaming platforms that you never hear about um, that I put on in the background. And it was fascinating um, about the, like, closing week of The Fantastics um, in 2002. And it goes into a lot of this sort of stuff. Um, Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt wrote this show, like, wrote the the bulk of it, what we know over the course of two weeks, um, they had some like previously existing content and an idea for this and something they had workshopped a couple times. But basically the only thing that stuck around from that was try to remember, um, yeah. the song and then everything else, uh, you know, got rewritten and they wrote the whole thing in two weeks. Um, because like someone had an opening for a theater or they knew a director and were like, if you can adapt this to an off Broadway show, I can get you a theater. And they're like, great. Yeah. And it'll play for a year. Um, and then it played for much longer than that. Um, exactly. Which yeah, is... the start of the, I mean, the start of it is, it, it, it's kind of origin story is just quite interesting, I think, because yeah. 
um it it took many forms mm -hmm. before it made it into the fantastics that, that we know and love because i think originally um tom jones i think wrote uh with another man um before Henry uh, Harvey Schmidt came on board, mm -hmm. uh, and it was much more of a, a kind of protest against the big Rodgers and Hammerstein style shows. Yeah, um, but they wanted it to be on the same scale. Mm -hmm. It was a much as those shows, a much bigger endeavor at the time. Um, much much bigger before they um, turned it down. And that's the thing; they just kind of realized that that wasn't working. That wasn't working, and Harvey Schmidt got brought on board. Yeah. Um, they developed a second act mm -hmm. uh, for the show and it became the Fantastics, as we know and love. Absolutely. And I do think it is that pairing down. And they do, they reference um, Our Town as an inspiration for this in its yeah. parad paradownedness and like imagination creation kind of style of acting. Um, exactly. And I think that like that is one of the, the uh, you know, central cores of its success of a show not just in an artistic endeavor but also if you have a show with what six seven actors no grand budget um you know a moderate to small house to fill like low operating costs basically yeah. you're uh, paying two members of the band exactly piano and harp that's it um you know you need maybe one crew person to hit go on the light board and stage manage the thing like yeah. The overhead for this show is really, really low, which also yeah. lets it survive um, kind of, you know, some of the, the ups and downs that other Broadway shows absolutely cannot. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I think so. I think the interesting thing to think about immediately there is, um, well, OK, if that's the solution, why aren't we seeing this happening all the time? Absolutely. And I do think part of it is that style is so well suited for this show. Yeah. Um, and or this show is so well like they go so hand in hand they're almost inextricable from each other. Yeah. No one's gonna no one's gonna do well. We'll talk about it, but no one should mm -hmm. do a big grandiose fantastics. It doesn't work yeah. anymore. It just doesn't work. Um, it's not it's not the way it was written, you know. And I think that's the thing is, uh, if a play is mm -hmm. telling you how to stage something, yeah, saying this is the kind this is the style that works you kind of have to follow along with that. Exactly. Um, well, and the whole and... show is filled with its, like, lampshading of its own performance. Like, they talk to the audience. Like, Completely. At the end of Act 1, El Gallo, like, leaves and comes back and, like, says to the audience, oh, and by the way, that's the end of Act 1. Intermission is now. Like Exactly. Um, they talk about the fact that the moon is made of paper. Moon yeah. is made of garbage, you know what I mean? Um, and that's actually intrinsic to the whole you know, symbolism of the right. show. If it if it was done in any sort of big budget way, all of these things would just start to fall apart. Yeah. Um and it and it wouldn't work. So yeah, financially it already kind of makes sense as, as to why. Because also if we think back to the sixties, mm -hmm. uh it, I, I imagine I don't know the facts, but I imagine that putting on a Broadway show would probably be significantly cheaper mm -hmm. uh, than it would then, be to put on a Broadway show today. Yes, I imagine that's yes. absolutely true. Um, Even an off-Broadway show. Yeah, but what what it does, what is the fascinating thing about the Fantastics then, you know, playing for 40 plus years, is then it becomes this like 
stalwart of off-Broadway theater. And so, yep. it, you know, Fantastics is certainly known for Jerry Orbach. Um, and they, they renamed the Revival Theater where they perform Fantastic. It is now the Jerry Orbach Theater because yeah. of, like, this whole thing. But, like, there is a laundry list of famous people who made their way through the show. Like, this was Jerry or- Orbach's big break. Um, you know, Lumiere, yeah. like, Law & Order Jerry Orbach, he got his start in the Fantastics and is still yep. remembered for it. Like, do you remember Barbara Streisand and Pins and Needles? No, of course you don't, <laughs> right? The only reason we remember Pins and Needles is because Barbara Streisand was in it, and it's like this history piece to go back and listen to and be like, oh, exactly. yeah. But, like, people listen to Jerry Orbach sing Try to Remember all the time. Yep. And that's the thing. It was really, it was try to remember that was the iconic thing. Because um, interestingly enough, and quite similarly to the Fantastics, he was also in the Thrupney Opera mm-hmm. um, in, in its off-Broadway run. Um, which, you know, you can draw a lot of parallels between yes. those shows anyway. Um, but because it was Frank Sinatra who made Mac the Knife famous, right. as opposed to Jerry Orbach making yeah. uh, Try to Remember. And it just shows you the, the kind of power that you can have by getting a number into the pop chart. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and like, just like if you can sell a number, I do think this is a thing that is missing. Maybe we're seeing a minor resurgence of it in very contemporary musical theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a while, like musical theater music was pop music. And, yeah. you know, we like certainly I, I was, I was walking through the mall the other day and something from the Hamilton mixtape came on and there are, <laughs> okay. there are a couple pop versions of songs from Wicked that'll play at Starbucks every now and again. And I'll be like, huh, yeah. this is a like weird out of body experience I'm having in this moment. Yeah. Um, and like look around and be like, anyone else has noticed that they're playing exactly. popular right now? Like, in this room? <laughs> what's going on? Um, but, like, that doesn't happen, you know, no one, like, puts on a record of Try to Remember um, and, you know, listens to it. In, or, like, no one puts on a record of songs from Beetlejuice and listens to it in the same way my grandmother put on Try to Remember and listen to it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, should we kind of go through the kind of laundry list of people that have appeared in it? Over the, I mean, it's... it's crazy sure i'll i'll say here we'll do this i'll say rita gardner liza minnelli glenn close Kristen chenoweth and then you can say the other ones <laughs> okay okay well i'll say elliot gold i'll say f murray abraham i'll say uh eileen fulton i'll say dick latessa and i'll say martin vidnovich there you go and plenty of others and my favorite uh in the revival the 2006 <laughs> revival Six. um starred uh, opened with uh Santino Fontana um from Tootsie and uh Jimmy tells me crazy ex-girlfriend um and oh, yes. uh, uh Cinderella uh, Cinderella yeah, all sorts of stuff rights, yeah. um but also <laughs> briefly starred Aaron Carter. Um, and there's there's a fantastic video that I will put in the show notes where Aaron Carter's doing an interview with, like, Teen Bop Tiger Beat, the new teen magazine, where if you write in, you can get free tickets to see the Fantastics with me, Aaron Carter. Uh, <laughs> and it is such... And it's like... Not it's like not pop star Aaron Carter anymore. It's like slightly older, you know, age appropriately cast Aaron Carter. It is so bizarre, but also worryingly still trying to be teen bop style. Yeah, and Aaron Carter and And the Fantastics. And the worst part about it is like two thousand seven. Me might have been like, ooh, I kind of want those tickets. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, 2007 <laughs> Um I understand. But one of the best parts about the revival is it starred Tom Jones, uh, uh, lyricist and book writer, who also yeah. directed it in the role as the old actor, which is like such a full meta-appropriate casting. Like, I think there's never been more apt and appropriate casting until title of show. Yeah. Completely. I think it's amazing that it, it kind of came full circle that he was able to come into it in that last outing. Um, yeah. Because, it, it, you know, they, they've always been such a part of that show. Yes. And it's been so beloved. And, you know, it's one of the few creative teams uh, who kind of stayed close. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They wrote 110 The Shade. They wrote I Do, I Do, I Do. Like, again, some classic shows. Yeah. Um, and it's nice that they stayed with the fantastic you know i mean they they were still a part of that yeah um it, it must be lovely it must be such an experience tom jones and says in a bunch of interviews that their their show lasted through 10 presidents um yeah like the the stuff that must change when you do a show for that long you know i've read an article about uh de-dusting the phantom costume costumes and lighting instruments from time to time because yes. they just have you know you don't expect things to need to last that long exactly when you it's, do a broadway it show. crazy yeah and i think it's, it's interesting because obviously we look at broadway um it's kind of a mouthpiece for what's happening mm-hmm. you know what i mean and it, it follows trends and everything like that and then obviously you've got things like phantom uh, yeah. you've got things like wicked now um <clears throat> excuse me that are still out there and they're still kind of bedrocks but they're really inte- you know you don't kind of go to phantom for its themes right you, you know what i mean yeah wicked has you know this the sisterhood story is amazing yeah but that isn't necessarily you know the the flavor of the month yeah that- like these broadway shows that come and go are. exactly people um, people see chicago for its dancing you know, people go exactly. to Lion King for the puppets. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so, what the hell do you go to the Fantastics for? For you know, seventeen thousand performances, right? A cardboard moon. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it, it wasn't like <clears throat> it was empty every night, and they just recouped all their costs, so they were yeah. sitting pretty. Like, it would always sell. Yeah. Pretty much. There there are a couple sad moments. There's an interview in this uh, documentary where the like I think it's the the closing stage manager who talks about like the last two ish years on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um where like if like houses finally start waning. Um yeah. and she'd be like, Yeah, you know, we have a matinee and like up until, you know, two minutes before, we didn't know if we were even going to have an audience. Wow. Um, and like some nights, like if we filled the first two rows, that felt good. Um, and like that, you know, and the, she concludes the little soundbite by saying, and now, you know, we're, we're closing, we're closing for good. And to see us, like people are scalping tickets for us now, yeah. like people are, you know, bending over backwards to come and try see the show again. And it's really, really invigorating. And I do yeah, think absolutely. that is, you know, you, you, you cement yourself in history and kind of surpass, uh, some kind of bar when you play for that long well that's it um it, it's quite interesting i think that uh because this you know 2002 wasn't the first time they posted a closing notice yeah it had happened i think twice before mm-hmm. um in the 90s i think they were both in the 90s i might be wrong on that um but 
there was so much outcry from people being like, no, you can't close the Fantastics. It's the, you know, I mean, it's the Fantastics that it right. just can't be done. Um, that they were able to keep it open. Yeah. And that's unheard of, you know what yeah. I mean? Especially even nowadays with, you know, the world of social media. Yeah. Uh, when these hugely popular shows post a closing notice, mm-hmm. you would never expect them to... To unpost the closing notice. Exactly. And get the Fantastics lasted through two of them. Yeah. Um, so do you think its final closing mm-hmm. is a sign of the times? Well, there was... I wish they had explored it a little more in the documentary, um, but they do talk about it. Um, the the producer for the Fantastics, Lornodo, um, he, around the time when they posted the closing notice, um, was, I don't know if he was, like, freshly diagnosed with cancer or had some, like, newly developing complications with previously existing cancer. Um, mm-hmm. But so it closed uh, in January of 2002, um, and uh, Laura passed away July of that year. Um, wow. And there was brief talk about, like, you know, he had been, he, like, he was the producer of that show, the longest-running show off-Broadway and anywhere. Yeah. Um, and talk about like he kind of knew that his time with the show was coming to an end, yeah. and that was also a bit of a motivating factor to like close with dignity and you know while he was still fit and able to and all those of sorts course. of things. Um, and you know, I think they don't go into it for obvious privacy reasons, and I think yeah. there's certainly some speculation there. Um, but. I also do not doubt that that had something to do with it. Um, that, w- that would make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, kind of for two reasons. Because I know initially he, uh, after it kind of got mixed reviews at the start and everyone was kind of telling them, like, there's no point, like, yeah. just just finish it. Um, he was determined and he poured, I think, all of his money mm-hmm. into this show, you know, and uh, thankfully it all paid off. Yeah. Um, but also, more importantly, when it got revived again, yeah, it it still played. Yeah, for played for yeah, <laughs> it played for so long. Like I do think, you know, and it speaks to. We'll talk more in detail about some of the themes of this show, but I think mm-hmm. it does speak to like there's something so core about the themes and the story that the fantastic touches upon that are entirely human and entirely timeless. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about them, actually. Yeah. Um, but first... You know what's uh, n- not timeless? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Has this show remained the same over all the time? Uh, I would say yes, save for maybe one song. Let's talk about that song. If the obvious open schoolboy chase With little mandolins and a fast embrace A childish prank, it's little in request A first-class raid, that is what I would suggest Just try to see it And you will soon agree, seniors, why? Invite regrets When you can order an abduction You will never forget An abduction that's emphatic An abduction that's polite An abduction done with Indians A truly charming sight An abduction done on horseback They all say it's new and gay So you see the masquerade Depends on what you pay It depends on what you pay Kids will love it It depends on what you pay Oh, I go stingy It depends on what you pay A spectacular I have but one Song. Name that show. 
That's uh, not sure. Name that film. Sorry, name that film. I don't know that. That's Snow White. Oh, oh I don't like it's Snow so White. Fun, fun Triv. I don't like. Don't like Snow White. No. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um. Uh. So the official name of this song, Jimmy, is "It Depends on What You Pay." Yes. Um, colloquially known as the rape song. Yay! Uh, yeah, it's like problematic. The song. It really is. So, um, yeah, it's uh, preluded. What What am I trying to see here? What's that word? Pre, pre, it's... pre, preluded, predated, pre, before it. Um, what's pre- that word? Pre- preceded. Preceded. That sounds right. Um, so it's preceded uh, by um, a discussion all about, uh, I think it's, uh, I'm trying to think of which one it is. Who's her dad? Uh, it doesn't matter. They're both in it together. I never know. Yeah. Um, the fathers uh, having a discussion where they would like uh, El Gallo to come along and uh, rape uh, their daughter yes although they don't and it is hard most most of the librettos that are published now have been revised and yes. so it is difficult to get like the ground truth on this um yes. th- there is discussion in some of the earlier versions that i can find that like um and frankly some of the discussions from um uh tom jones who i trust on this um, about how, like, they're trying to use the word rape in the purest literary sense, meaning exactly. abduction. Um, and it, they kind of make a joke about it, um, which puts some context around it. And if you take them at their word without mm-hmm. social construct, feels fine? Question mark? Yes. So, yeah, it starts, I mean, they do, they introduce it as an abduction. Right. And then El Gallo comes in. And says it's almost like oh no it needs to be right this because it's more because that's the whole song is like you want it to be as grand as it can be yes. you want it to be showy and flashy and theatrical and and the and the word for that according to El Gallo is rape yes um and we, that is the thing is you know we are talking like uh, the rape of the sovereign women. Mm-hmm. Uh, from you know greek mythology or roman mythology i can't remember which one yeah um like this is uh, the this rape is... of lucretia yes it's that and, one that and like if, if we're if we're talking you know this is this is not a, a a mythos they've invented for the show right like yes we are if if you follow the etymology of the word rape it means that sort of thing not <laughs> but words change language flexes uh, exactly um but the tricky thing is, is they really keep hammering home that point. <laughs> yes. Well, and I then I think the explicit problem is there are like long, extended, beautiful singing phrases where Jerry Orbach just sings the word rape. He does very, you know, intently. Um, A pretty rape. Yes, exactly. A literary rape. And it, like, if this this is where I think it's difficult to like recontextualize. If you if you can look past how disgusting that sounds, mm-hmm. there's comedy in there. Uh, yes, I know what you mean. Like, you can, you can see how it would be funny. 
I don't mean to say that like it is or I find it funny. Yeah. It's but it's more it's not even it's not the use of the word, it's just the idea of theatricalizing an abduction. Yes. That's that's where the comedy is. Like that is almost like that feels Shakespearean almost in its yeah. style. Yeah. Um it feels like something the rude mechanicals would, you know, cook up. Right. Yeah. Uh to you know, to help Theseus somehow. You know, exactly. It's, it's that and then, kind of thing. And then bumble along exactly as they would. Like Yes. Uh-huh. Um because that's the other thing as well, is you know, he he's talking all this grandiose uh nonsense and then the eventual thing the eventual abduction is right. very it's haphazard. Very... And yes, and slapstick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um but so, you know there's a great interview on NPR um, with Tom Jones before the revival um, mm-hmm. about this very topic. And right. Hart, you know, I think it's worth taking him at his word, although it is important to be dubious of something like this, but, you know, no reason not to. Um, he talks a lot about growing uncomfortable with the use of the word rape in It Depends on What You Pay very early on in the show's mm-hmm. inception. Um, but that uh, he got some pushback about changing it um and i think today still right. gets some pushback about some of the changes that have been implemented um Interesting. and then the interview goes on to kind of chronicle the journey that the song has had so he talks about they changed the libretto to more specifically say like no 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 a pretend rape it's pretend um and like get rid of that a lot and then after that they wrote a different song entirely yes called the abduction i the think abduction. yeah um it's an entirely different song um that tom jones just didn't like as much um it just didn't work as well he thought and so then he went back and did some pretty strong rewrites to the original song the yep. word rape is used once and then just about everywhere they dance around it either by changing the rhyme replacing it with the abduction or using the word raid r-a-i-d yes um and then he has he says something like and the purists still hate me for it so what are you gonna do that's it and you know when you've got a show as cult as this Mm -hmm. of course they will yeah um and it's this show is is loved by many 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 intellectuals yes who you know don't usually come for this sort of uh, as they were probably described pc bullshit Mm -hmm. um because it ruins the arts right um and I, yeah, I mean, I've been guilty of saying things like that before, yeah. but I under, I understand completely the other yeah. side of it. Yeah. Um. And I think, yeah, the the only kind of umbrage that I take with it is how much, like, like you say, it is the kind of the joke that they make about it, right? Um. Doesn't need to be made so heavily. Yes. You know what I mean? Because so when we did it, uh-huh. uh huh. We, I think it was like the the lessened form. I don't think it was the different song. Okay. Um, but and they're about you didn't you didn't miss it. Yeah, they're about seven or eight gentle revisions of the song. Exactly. Um, um and yeah, you know, I mean, it wasn't the kind of rape filled one yeah. of the original. Um, but you weren't like this doesn't work as a song because. Yeah. It's kind of Elgayo's first big moment. Yeah. Did you did you get the sense? This is a question I've had about this. So you know mm-hmm. the um the <laughs> we joked earlier in this podcast, um, but you know the radio cut 
version of CeeLo Green's Fuck You. Um, yes. That's Forget You. Yes. And, like, every time, at least when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, th- he's not actually saying forget. Like, I don't think anyone listens to this and thinks, like, ah, oh, yes, forget you, right? Like, we're, <laughs> you know, we have just replaced this word to uh-huh. appease the censors. Um, yeah. And I wonder funny... that about changes like this sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, and that's why the kind of the purists. Right should just kind of get over it because <laughs> you know what it is. Right. Do yeah. You know I mean, go and get your uh, old LP out and stick it on the record player if you, if you want to have it, you know what I mean? Harking back to that. Exactly. Um, but this makes a lot more people happy. Yeah. So run with that. Interesting story about the seal of green. I do always think forget you. Really? That's because you I'm a so glee. That makes sense. <laughs> so I'm glad you saw that coming. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's my kind of, feeling on it it's, it's yeah. interesting again we've done it again um but obviously the last time when we talked about temper temper and playing the game mm-hmm. i took a very strong there's my purist coming out there you, you know? go um but i think that's because it turned into in my opinion a subpar song yes um, that i felt didn't make the point as yeah. well as it did i think my feelings are about the new one is that it makes it equally that's fine. If, yeah. if that was the first time you heard it, you're not going to be like, something's off. Exactly. When I do think, the, and this was a realization I had much, much later in life. The Fantastics right. was one of my grandma's favorite musicals. Oh, um, wow. And I like only know that because she used to hum the songs all the time. And then right. like I have these like childhood flashbacks of like, oh, I recognize that song. Um, but she would sing lots of the lyrics, just like around the house doing things. And I have distinct memories of her like, Mm-hmm, 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 si, si, senor, mm-hmm, da, uh-huh. da, 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 and never singing the lyrics to this song. Um, right, okay. Right? And, like, I think that's reason enough to change the lyrics, because that's one of the problems, is, like, in a show with catchy songs I try to remember, you don't want a 12-year-old leaving the theater going, like, rape! Like, that's not a, not a good look. Exactly. Um... And I just feel that's the thing is, I think if you did it to an audience now, mm-hmm. particularly, I don't know, just if, if I think there would be shows that would do that. Yeah. The Book of Mormons is, is yeah, sure. Uh, for example, would, would easily do that. But that is because it's Book of Mormon and that's the show that you're getting. Yeah. Whereas it doesn't actually really reflect that kind of humor. Right. Um, doesn't reflect anything else yes. in the Fantastics. And I think it would then not necessarily cheapen it, but it wouldn't make it as impactful. Right. When it makes people, like this song is supposed to be a, it is a lighthearted comedy song, right? Yeah. You, if you listen to it without the words, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. And so you're, you're putting the audience in a state of dissonance if you're making them have to listen to this like shock word that we've now associated in our society. Exactly. Exactly. You're, you've hit the nail completely on the head there. Um, it just wouldn't be appropriate yeah but it does i do wonder what you think about this and i think fantastics for a while was in its own position but it starts to draw into question as we get you know some longer running musicals on broadway the idea of a musical that plays 10 20 30 40 years Mm -hmm. revising itself Mm -hmm. is an interesting like as a general concept is an interesting line to talk about or to draw or to think about like 
if Andrew Lloyd Webber showed up when Fantastics hits its final 50 year, whatever, and says, we're yeah. going to add a song. Or I want to change – I want to update this song to reflect contemporary sentiment because right mm-hmm. now the Phantom just seems like this you know, weirdo predator who you know, preys on the young Christine. And we need to do something to update this script yeah. to fall in line with contemporary theories on how society should be. Yep. That is a can of worms right there. Completely. Because can you imagine the – I mean the uproar. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, you know, I wonder is that why he wrote "Love Never Dies"? Right. I mean, I re- to kind of excuse himself. I remember how angry you were about rapping "Rum Tum Tugger." Like, you're damn right. I was furious, um, and that wasn't even really changing the lyrics. They did change some of them. They rapped, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I wasn't happy about it. And I think, yeah, that's the thing. Phantom has equally as cult status as yeah. Fantastics, if not more so, because it's playing to many more people. But um, absolutely, I can see an outrage. Tommy, I was outraged at Temper Temper not being in Mary Poppins. I know. Well, and like Temper Temper at least has no problematic implications in mm-hmm. you know our understanding of 2019 society. Well, kind of, but then it was also, it was... Uh, taken out because it was fair. too scary for I guess kids, that's true. you know? Yeah, no, it, I guess that's a, fair. It a, a public, public outcry thing yeah. That, yeah. That, that changed it. Um, and yeah, it's like a, an I, interesting one. I guess my point is, and not that I would make this argument, but I do mm-hmm. see the, the like, anti-censorship argument against yeah. changing this. Like, the art is the art and you keep it what it is. Um, yeah. But that's the unique place that you know, plays in musical theaters sit in is we ha- we do it new every night, so it never has to be the same. Exactly, and you will always be getting a new person in that show who's never seen it before. Yeah, and you don't, and will be experiencing it for the first time. Right, and can you imagine if they had to put like a a, a whole explanatory note in the program about like, hey, everyone, sorry, you know, this was musicals from the sixties, and not that it was right then, but you know, it's less right now. Yeah, it's a bit. I don't know. It just kind of you're already you're sitting like what? Yeah, exactly. And your your experience is tainted. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any any of the like long runners. Yeah. At the moment, that are particularly problematic. No, I think you have to delve pretty hard. Like Phantom certainly has some male female relationships that aren't great. Um, mm-hmm. Chi- Chicago, you know, on one reading is girl power, on another reading is girl oppression. But like, yeah. the open to interpretation, I think. Yeah. Um and then you know once once you fall off that end nothing has you know li- what lion king um like you know yeah. what's going to be problematic about the lion king um yeah play you can play that you can play that sound bite at the trial um <laughs> sorry i just had a moment there um yeah lovely. no i don't know but that's that is also the fascinating thing like we may never mm. see this sort of controversy again ever mm-hmm. because the show is in such a unique position exactly so obviously we've got it depends on what you pay um mm-hmm. the issues that it brings up um but i would argue that that actually isn't the biggest issue <laughs> in the show uh-huh. um and that there's some other uh kind of vague race issues yeah i would say not up. so vague but yeah yeah um and I mean, particularly, it's one of those things. I, as a British person, 
don't necessarily resonate with this as much as an American would, but they do talk a lot about Indians, meaning Native Americans. Right. Yes. And it's wrong. Um, it's problematic. It, yeah. And I think the the confounding factor is it is lampshaded in a similar way to uh, the rape. Is you know, El Gallo says early on, oh, not a real rape, of course. And like mm-hmm. the moment we meet, uh, is it Mortimer? Mortimer, um, yeah. Pretending to be an American Indian. And I think it's uh, Henry, the old actor, who says, oh, no, but he's clearly not a real Indian. Um, and like, well, does that make it? Better or worse? Like, exactly. Because why is he? Yeah. And do you know what I mean? Like, because it's interesting, like, the origins of this show, again, I find really fascinating because before it was the Fantastics when it was, I don't know, Drop the Dead Donkey or whatever it's called, something like that. <laughs> yeah. The Day of the Dead Horse or something. Something like that. It was uh, set in Texas. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And uh, El Gallo was a kind of Mexican bandit character. Yeah. Well, um, and even there, like, certainly, you know, Mortimer pretending to be an American Indian is overtly racist. But, like, Jerry Orbach pretending to, you know, playing, saying, oh, you will soon see si, senor, also kind of racist. Yeah. And that's that's the thing is, like, they, they took all that away from it and yeah. made it just more allegorical. And I think that's, that's fine. It kind of makes a lot more sense for the show. Um, but then they just decided to keep El Gallo as El Gallo. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there is, it is an interesting thing, and we'll talk about the movie in a second. Um, mm-hmm. But the movie really expands on uh, some of the like carnival and circus implications of some of this. Um, oh, okay. Which somehow, and not that it's right, but eases a little bit of the like you know pretending to be an american indian tension when it's yeah. next to you know a 1930s bearded lady and you know little people and like you know like it, 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 that cast in that and it's not explicit in the script of the uh musical or even no. so when um it it flies by you much faster but when the girl goes on the journey through the world and puts the mask on uh-huh. um during round and round um yeah. There's a lot of racist stuff in this, in that as well, about like assumptions about, you know, the East Indies and like foreign cultures and how it's dangerous very, they like, are. It's exoticism. And, and yeah. You don't want to go outside. Yeah. And it, um, it, 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 there is, because it is a show that seems to be parodying some of these kind of things. Yes. You wonder where that line is. I wish it was more explicit. I think that's it. But then is that as. Is that us right. being the uh, kind of PC police coming in and, and trying to look for the right, yeah, the or, issues when actually, if we just look at it properly, you see, oh, it's it's not, yeah, yeah, you know. And I think that's part um, of it too. I I imagine that would be the thing that would end up closing the show eventually, if if it were to overcome some of its other obstacles, those would be the things that people in twenty nineteen would be growing tired of. Yeah, because they do feel dated. Yes, yes, they do. I think that's the thing. They feel dated. They don't, like, they were wrong then, certainly, but we have an understanding of lots of things were wrong then that lets Mm -hmm. us, you know, still... It doesn't cast the creators in a racist or poor light as much. Um, 
in an overtly intentionally racist poor light, I guess I should clarify. Because these clarifications are important. Like, it's still racist, but in the 60s, it was easier to justify as an accident. Yep. Um, But when you have a show that started in the 60s and still remains in 2002 unchanged... That's it. Yeah. Tricky. Tricky. Let's get to rock around. What's that? Let's rock one time. Let's rock more time. Get tricky. Oh, it's tricky, it's tricky, tricky, tricky. tricky. Rock, yeah, isn't it rock a rhyme? I don't know. Yeah, to rock a rhyme, to rock a rhyme. But I time it's tricky. I have it's actually s- talking about rap. I uh, have spent my whole life saying reprise. So you know, don't ask me what the actual words are. You fool. <laughs> um, here, Tommy, you have me at bearded lady. I want you to talk to me all about it. I'd like to waste a week or two And never do a chore To wear my hair unfastened So it billows to the floor To do the things I've dreamed about But never done before It is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Jimmy, I watched the film for the, there's a film made of this. Did you know that the film existed? I knew that the film existed um, at 4 p.m. yesterday. All right. So. Um, there you go. Uh, it came out in 1995. So long on in the musical's career, probably mm. before it just started dying down. Mm. Um, that that was after, I think, one of the first closing notices got mm-hmm. rejected. But yeah, so you can see it's on the the down. Mm-hmm. Um, and the film did not do well. But it is a fascinating discussion as to why. Um, Okay. The film, on its own, is wonderful. Right. Okay. It is cinematically pretty. It has the music from the show that you recognize, and the music Mm -hmm. is great. It has a rock star cast. Um, Joel Grey plays the girl's father. Right. Um, The boy the girl's father um and the guy's father i was like man he looks so familiar and i cannot place him at all um he's the scary monk with the hat from sister act two um 
The scary monk with the hat. There are three monks in Sister Act 2. One of them is Michael Jeter, who's got a mustache and was the bad guy in Air Bud and is really happy in this one. One of them is the chef. And one of them always looks like he's really angry and wears glasses with hats. And he plays the dad. He's a perfect cast. Um, The boy is played by Joey McKintree from New Kids on the Block. Uh huh. Again, that doesn't really mean much to me. That's fine. It'll mean but something to American the, people. All the Americans are screaming. It would be. Day. It would be like in a different age if I said the boy was played by Joe Jonas. Um, what? Yeah. Yeah. It would be like if it would. You know, it would kind of be like if Joe Jonas today played the boy in um, the Fantastics. Okay. Yeah. Kind of. That's a false comparison. Um, a bunch of other people who are recognizable and famous. Uh, the um, El Gallo is played by a name you might recognize, and I didn't mm-hmm. recognize until I looked him up. Jonathan Morris. Hmm, rings a bell. Is he? He. So uh, Wikipedia tells me he's a like UK game show host, um, or or television presenter. I assume those words mean the same thing oh, in the him. UK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait. No, I don't think that is him. Oh, someone else you're recognizing? You're having Tom Jones confusion? Yeah. But then, my favorite. So, the play, or the the movie changes a bunch of things around, as you can imagine. Um, mm-hmm. But kind of, it cuts the role of the mute, slash kind of more, uh, merges it with Mortimer. Um, mm-hmm. And Mortimer slash the mute is played by Teller of Penn and Teller. What? The magician who never talks. Yeah. And he, and he does an amazing job. Like, the whole thing, if you took it on its own account, is great. They recast, they redo the whole thing that El Gallo is like the leader of the circus that comes to town, and the fathers get this notice in their mailbox. It's like, oh, this guy, he looks like he's right for the job. And then right. all the people at the circus. The bearded lady and the little people and, you know, uh-huh. the, you know the, all those crazy carnival acts are the people who are in the abduction ballet. It takes place right. on the carnival grounds, um, you know, and there's like a high dive incorporated into it. And then when um, uh, the boy runs away, he runs away in an attempt to run away with the carnival. And gets drugged by the old man and teller and, like, is kind of beat up in this weird pantomime tour of the world that El Gallo takes the girl on. That's, like, this weird, you know, like, bizarre tunnel of love experience that is, you know, put on the mask and all of that. And they're, like, Uh enacting this thing. Like, it's really clever. And you get to see the seasons passing, which is a huge thematic thing in this. Mm -hmm. Um and, like, they do their best to make El Gallo, like, actually magic. Um, and, like, he has some moments where, like, he snaps his fingers and thunderclaps and things like that, which would be implied by some of the stuff that happens in, you know, the – like, he snaps his fingers and on stage, thunder could clap, right? Um, yeah. It is probably the most honest adaptation you could do of this show. Right. And it, and it just doesn't work. And people hated it because of it. Um, yeah. Because they want that pared down moon made of cardboard. Um, and of course, all those lines are cut, right? Because you can't. Yeah. The moon's not made of cardboard. It's there. This is a movie. It's real. Um, and like, all it takes is the removal of that 
little element and it mm-hmm. just it just doesn't make it just doesn't work anymore yeah because as you're describing it i'm like I, i'm not i've yet to be sold do you know what yeah. I mean? and that's the thing is i feel like uh seeing it yeah maybe that would be different because as a spectacle it may be a lot of fun but sure um, as a piece of the fantastics mm-hmm. i just i just can't see it do you know what I, I mean? i'm like it's I imagine if it came out unrelated to the musical or the musical didn't exist and this was its mm-hmm. first foray into existence, it would have been as popular as Sister Act 2, right? As, you know, like a, a, a moderately, like a poorly critically accepted, moderately cult classic 90s movie. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't. People hate it. Fascinating. Yeah. I'm just really I I was so surprised that it was just never on my radar. I mean, I choreographed for it, mm-hmm. and that never came up. I, um, it maybe crossed my radar maybe two years ago. Um, yeah, because there's a bunch of clips of like the uh, the father numbers on YouTube and stuff, which are great. They're well staged. They're real pretty. Um, mm-hmm. The sets are gorgeous. Um, the w- during uh, I can see it. El Gallo like puts this weird hypno spinning magic wheel in the boy's yard and uses it to tempt him back to the carnival. And from like the boy's perspective, it's like this weird Christmas light contraption. And then they go to the backside and like the strong man's like dragging it back to the carnival to like tempt him to go there. It's it is. And like, there's a great moment at the end. You see the carnival come to town and it's a bunch of like model T's driving, you know, a caravan of circus wagons and stuff. Um, And at the end, when El Gallo is singing the reprise of Try to Remember, uh, hanging from what would be his review mirror uh, is the girl's necklace and a bunch of other trinkets, um, like (laughs) similarly stolen, you imagine. Uh, uh-huh. which is a, it's a great moment. You're like, yeah, of course he does this all the time. Yeah. Um, but, but then also that doesn't make, do you know what I mean? Cause it's right. And when we talk about the characters a bit more in a bit, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's more, I always feel like he's more enigmatic than that. Yeah. Than sure. a real person who is legitimate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you know what it reminds me of? Hmm. Have you ever... And this would be this copying the Fantastics as a well, maybe not, but definitely. Anyway, um, have you ever heard of the League of Gentlemen? Mm, that's a movie. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. No, the League oh, of Gentlemen. No, I've not. So the League of Gentlemen is um, three comedians. You'll know um, Mark Gatiss, okay, who yes. wrote for Doctor Who, was in Sherlock, he plays Mycroft. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, Reese Shearsmith. And Steve Pemberton as well. So it's the three of them. Okay. Um, and they, uh, as a comedy troupe, created these this group of characters uh, called the League of Gentlemen. Okay. Um, and it's just all these different sketches about uh, these characters who live in this fictional town called Royston Vasey. And it's all the worst people you could ever meet, basically. Uh-huh. Um, total gross-out comedy. That very, like, early 2000s style. Yeah. And that's because this is the early 2000s. I was like, well, I wonder if... But no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't cross over because they wrote this in '95 or whatever. Mm, fair. Um, but uh, one of the characters is called Papa Lazarou, <laughs> okay. and he is uh, he is a ringmaster. Yeah. Um, who has this kind of like Carnival of the Damned style thing yeah. that comes into Royston Vasey, um, and he kidnaps 
the wives of mm-hmm. all of the the people and he keeps you know their rings and their trinkets and he has the, you know and he's just this kind of creepy guy it was just as you were saying yeah. that i was like no, 100 percent they've stolen that from <laughs> that's exactly what it is um that's fascinating. and it do- and it works really well like it it is a great like on on the you know scale of like changes for a movie adaptation it is the yeah perfect choice to make because it still keeps him theatrical it gives him a place to do illusions that's still centered mm-hmm. in this world um it gives him a reason to like come to town and leave town and like be in these people's lives just for a moment mm-hmm. um but you know people don't like the movie it's fascinating yeah it's interesting because like it does sound like as a standalone it would totally work yeah um so do you think the fanta- like the call of the fantastics was so strong that people were like this isn't the fantastics i know i i think this story is so inextricably tied to its staging yeah it, the, you know the moon being made of cardboard everything coming out of a trunk um yep. you know and there's like comedy bits you miss like ending act one like isn't it like uh they're in a tableau let's see how long they can hold it and like then we, yeah we pull that metaphor at the beginning of act two that they're still there like you exactly can't, you just can't do that stuff in a movie you absolutely can't you need you need the staging right um and i don't I- uh, unlike something like the Chicago movie adaptation where they make all the musical numbers like this, you know, weird, bizarre intermind thing. I don't think there's a good way or rather I can't think of a good way into that for yeah. Fantastics. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I completely agree. It's, it, it, it would never be the one that I would be like, that's the movie. Yeah. And if yeah. you did, it would be really tough. Yeah. It's too, it's too allegorical. Um, yeah, I, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the recent West End revival. I am so intrigued about this. Yeah. Um, so I didn't I didn't see it, but it's, it's really, I don't know, I find it really interesting, mm-hmm. the parallels between this and the Thrupney Opera, because I feel like they've kind of gone through really similar patterns. Obviously, the Thrupney Opera didn't last nearly as long. Um, but uh, the Thrupney Opera got revived um, in the late 2000s uh-huh. and absolutely flopped because they tried to do far too much with it. Yeah. Um, and the Fantastics got revived in 2010 mm-hmm. um, and it absolutely flopped because they tried to do far too much with it. Um, it's it, not... The thing is, is like, you can't, you can't do too much. You know, I mean, you can't create right. a massive dynamic set and have set pieces and all this kind of change because... The, the material isn't there. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's the material literally isn't there in the, the script. Yeah. Um, so I think their stage was still small. Yeah. Um, but uh, the scale of that mm-hmm. was still extended. Yeah. Um, just too high. Um, it's, it, it's not meant to be in a large house yeah that just stops any sort of connection that you can make yeah with the story um it's it you know it goes right back to the it goes right back to the brechtian ideals like it's um if you have a message Mm -hmm. that you want to push forward Mm -hmm. uh then that won't work if you're trying to play it to thousands of people yeah to that larger distance exactly because the people at the back aren't gonna get it right 
you need to be intimate yeah um and i 100 percent know why that this didn't work because it just it just wasn't you know and it'd be the same thing imagine us trying to play in a broadway house it would just you know even if even if you kept it scaled down and had your paper moon and yeah you know no set everyone was still on stage all the time people would still be like this is i just paid yeah 360 dollars for a ticket to this yeah you know what i mean it it just doesn't work yeah um i think when you go mm -hmm. off west end when you go off broadway you expect something different you expect something more pared down right something more intimate yeah when you're like why you know why is there wall just a guy with a stick when we're in this huge theater yeah, you know, like Where's the wall. My projection. The wall in the film is is massive and well designed, and they do this whole thing where the girl's father's whole world is colorful and clean and orderly, and his part right. of the wall is a fence that just gets bigger, and the guy's father is sloppy and like all black and white tones, and his fence is like, and it looks like the lame is barricade. Um, right. Okay. And it's a it's great production design, and it's too much. It just doesn't. It's so unnecessary. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. That you're getting into class there. I know, and, and uh, you're right, and you don't need. And but why are they That's friends? And yeah, I do. So, have you heard anything at all about celebration? Celebration, <laughs> come on. The musical. The no. musical. Uh, celebration is another musical by Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt. Um, oh, okay. And if you ever look at their uh, cover art for it, their poster art for it, you'd be like, uh-huh. ha-ha, Fantastics 2. Um, <laughs> Fantastic 3. Exactly. Fantastic 4. Do you know what that reference? No. I know. I like this I game, though. What is it? Is that from... Is that from That's uh, from Arrested Development. Oh. They do Fantastic 4 in the musical. That one I should know. Darn. It's, the, it's season 4. Ah, well, that's why. I I kind of blocked that out of my memory. That's fair. Um, No, Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt in 1969 wrote Celebration. Um, Okay. It's hard. I tried to listen to it a little bit the other day. Um, Mm -hmm. The only excellent recording I can find is uh, on YouTube. And it is a pro recording, but it's just on YouTube. um, So it's kind of hard to get to. It sounds a lot like The Fantastics. um, (laughs) Right. But is a little more difficult to listen to. But... It played in a Broadway theater. Um, oh. they, Wikipedia describes it, and it's hard to find descriptions of the show, but as an avant-garde fable played on a set consisting of bare platforms, masks serving as primary costumes, and a score played by a nine-piece band instead of a full-sized orchestra. The four mm. main roles, a narrator, a young woman, a young man, and a wealthy old man, and a chorus, the revelers, who play various roles. At the musical's core is the struggle between youth and old age, innocence and corruption, love and ambition, and poverty and wealth. As Angel, the woman, tries to decide if she would be if she would be better served by her feelings for orphan or Rich's willingness to fulfill her every dream. It's Fantastics too, right? Mm. And all the reviews say, you know, this show should have been off Broadway. Wow, there you go. Like they knew so it they back in '69. They weren't even panning it. They weren't even saying you know, this is just a copy. They were just saying, this could be good. But... Yeah, yeah, but here, bigger. Um, and it, it played 100 performances or so, you know. Yeah. Like, it didn't close right away, but it is and it is interesting to see that, like, there's something about this that is unadaptable. Yeah, I guess. I think, I don't know, I do... 
there's something tickling at the back of my mind that mm-hmm. makes me think there could be another side and okay. I'm trying to work out how you handle it because I'm thinking of Pippin. Mm, that's a good comparison because Pippin right? certainly shares a lot of hallmarks with this one. It um, really does. I mean, the leading player in El Gallo could walk hand in hand and get married. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, it is, very a, much... it is a, a lampshaded show within a show. Like, we're going to... I think Pippin Absolutely. even more so. Yeah. Um, and it's about uh, a character who has to go on a journey to learn what it is to love yeah. and be in life. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? And, and kind of gets crapped on. I wonder if the difference is... Pippin is about rejecting the spectacle right think about the sun you could go up in flames nah i'd rather just like this poor life and the moral of the fantastics is the reverse right i want the spectacle i want the grandiose life i want sword fights and you know all of these things but i then find out that the world is actually and like and i am so sad about how disappointing and mundane home life is. But then when I go out to see the real world, actually home life doesn't seem too bad. Try to remember September. Like, but isn't that Pippin? Yeah, no, you're right. I wanted magic shows and miracles. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Rage. No, I, 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 no. I, I made the wrong point in my thesis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. no, I, I know what you mean. Like, I feel, they do feel like they handle it differently. But yeah. Even like the kind of bittersweet ending, they both right. share that. Yeah, um, there the, is the stripped back. Sti- you know, it's... yeah, 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 yeah. I I think, and maybe it's just in the intended structure and like something yeah. you know, uh, 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 like indescribable is what exemplifies this. But if say I were because I always have to think about this from a designer perspective. But say I was designing the show, I uh-huh. want the leading player to do illusions that look like illusions, right? I want the leading player to make things appear and disappear and catch on fire and all that sort really? of stuff. And not a lot, but enough. Uh-huh. Once or twice. And we can still see them as, like, I don't need to see them as magic, but I need to see them as, like, very convincing illusions. Okay, interesting. Whereas, like, I am more comfortable with El Gallo, like... I got your nose or, you know, throwing confetti into the air as snow or something. Right. Is that, is that because of the revival of Pippin? Perhaps the original, like, you know, Ben Vereen was, uh, he still makes like, doesn't he make a cane appear at some point and he pulls the whole castle out of the floor. Yeah. Um, but it's more, it's, it still feels like set building and it still feels like stagecraft as opposed to, magic yeah i guess whereas the revival obviously did a lot more in terms of but i think in the in fantastics el gallo's never gonna like palm something and you're not gonna know where it went right right as as an audience member there is no trick to even figure out yeah i guess so it's but so is that why the fantastic works off Broadway and Pippin works on Broadway. Do you know I mean, like, is that? I mean, maybe you know, or maybe the answer is Bob Fosse and like Pippin yeah, well, has that's, that's big dance thing. numbers is it, and stuff. Is it Bob Fosse and Stephen Schwartz and a full orchestra? Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe. Um, but I think you know this is this is uh, uh, you know the the form over function discussion of musical theater, right? Yeah. Um, 
is this stuff dictated by the story or does the the form then in like dictate how you do the story uh um, well, we know what sondheim would say uh what are you doing here in my house please leave yes i've asked you before Never <laughs> for, come the, back. for the last time tommy please get out of here i don't know how you keep getting in no i will not sign it i'm calling and 911 stop, stop doing that impression of me please <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it is the orchestra, because I'm question. thinking. Of, I'm that now is... thinking of. I'm now thinking of Condide. Mm, a good question. I will say the film um, is fully orchestrated and it's beautiful. The oh. the the overtures in it, it's great. Like the whole thing is very well done. So you can get, um, you can license an alternate orchestration. Fascinating. And I can't find it anywhere. Hmm. So, listeners, <laughs> hook us up. Because I'm fascinated. Because the thing is, is the music is lovely. The music yeah. is absolutely beautiful. There's nothing about, you know, because that's the other thing with the Thrupney Opera that's a bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the Thrupney Opera is actually quite difficult to listen to. Yes. Um, just because of Kurt Vile's style, you know. Right. It's still, it's genius music, but it's it's not easy listening. Yeah. Whereas this is, like, fun and easy listening. Yeah. Like, you know, try to remember what it's known for, but, like, man, Plant a radish and never say no are like on my shower listening playlist all the time. Like every single yeah. one of these songs is is much more is beautiful. Yeah, like, it's a great song. Yeah. Round and round is catchy as hell. You know, it's it. I don't get it. I, I really don't, because like yeah, um, like Candide, similar thing. Lovers learning and they, again they go back to nature. This is a yeah. strange theme that seems to exist in the world. Um, but with Bernstein's backing, like you couldn't do that off Broadway. Yeah. What I, is it? I don't know. Fascinating. Yeah. I think like the fantastic seems to have threaded the needle of its genre somehow. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Okay. If we're talking about almost like pared down humble beginnings, maybe because that's actually what is at the core that's true of the fantastics creation yeah i mean well do you want to do you want to talk about the themes and how this is isn't the first time nor the last we've heard this story so take it away and paint it up right so take it away and decorate it so take it away that sun is too bright i say that it really is a pity it used to be so pretty off the bat i kind of want to talk about uh the time yes this was written because i think that is really crucial the 60s Um, the 60s um yeah the 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 50s heading into the 60s uh where the world was very interesting because we've just finished world war ii yeah um 
and that we kind of talked a little bit about this in here mm-hmm. um but it, it kind of gave birth to uh, a kind of new way of thinking yes and a new way of feeling um and what many call uh the beat generation mm-hmm. which um, i i wish like even in you know american history u.s historical studies we yeah. pa- we pass over the beat generation like when i yes. took when i took u.s history we went from 50s housewives to 70s hippies yeah and i bet were the 70s hippies were they filthy hippies i mean they're kind of fully formed and free love and you know okay but it's, it's so it's not full um denigration no 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 but okay. it, it's more well, you know this is uh the homogenized version that they give to high schoolers so it's more like then then it brings us into vietnam and you know yes. peace and love and yes. you know that sort of stuff but you skip the beats um well that's and I, you know if you're talking hippies i feel like you need to talk about the beat generation because that's how they started yeah you know? they're they're um, proto hippies so absolutely. Uh, so kind of popularized by um, uh, sort of literary icons like Allen Ginsberg um, and Jack Kerouac. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you might know Allen Ginsberg from his, he wrote an epic poem called Howl, mm-hmm. um, which is in totally that kind of beat poem style. Yeah. Uh, Jack Kerouac wrote a ton of novels. Um, his most famous one was one called On the Road, which is this sort of uh, semi-autobiographical, fictional um, kind of, uh, what's that called? Uh, what's Ulysses-style mm-hmm. uh, journey uh, across America. Um, and these were like hugely influential pieces of literature that kind of sparked just a a, a a resonation i guess yeah. amongst a lot of young people who were feeling uh kind of hard done by by the world you yeah know, they, were, they were brought out they'd kind of seen the world yeah as it is and needed a way to i, I mean I, th- I think the the beat generation is the first counterculture that didn't cause a war um mm-hmm. in well it kind of yeah it kind of came as a result of yeah. the war yeah you for know? sure and as a way of trying to just kind of process everything and everything that they were now kind of aware of. And especially, so with the fifties, mm-hmm. um, you know, having been fed, uh, people trying to get rid of the civil rights act that was mm-hmm. fast becoming, uh, a possibility. Yeah. Um, McCarthyism was creeping in and, um, you know, trying to stamp down the communists all this stuff was happening but it was being painted over right um with this lovely stepford yeah. style life um that was being suburban very you know yeah life but then yeah these people wanted this other kind of world to, to still live and still exist mm-hmm. um and so that's uh how the beat generation kind of formed and and really carved counterculture yeah absolutely i mean as we know it's a day in many ways like oh yeah no i think that's absolutely true like you could you could draw an origin tree of any counterculture movement that you think exists today that's Mm. i mean 2019 we live in strange times but like true counterculture movements as opposed to say nazis um yes exactly but find an origin tree kind of based in the beat generation and that that is what i mean by like the first counterculture movement that didn't cause a war that was specifically Mm -hmm. about 
culture you know yeah exactly just thought and yeah trying to to just yeah work things out um and from a quite intellectual standpoint and in many ways weirdly enough the fantastics is kind of like the beat musical so if there was ever a beat musical i feel like the fantastics is it which yeah. just seems quite strange um particularly because i, I would imagine that uh, jack kerouac would probably think completely reproachfully of musical theater <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> that's fair but do i think to contextualize like the big mu- the big broadway musical of the year was bye bye birdie um right in oh my gosh perfect it's almost perfect right it is a beautiful pairing like can can you imagine conrad and whatever her name is up next to the boy and the girl from the fantastics like right how diametrically opposed in their approach to love yeah yes oh that is beautiful actually as a as a picture um so yeah so that kind of shows you the the world that it was created in and um i know that uh oh, what's it called? schmidt is it schmidt uh, yeah yeah uh, harvey schmidt and tom jones um well not being uh like beat poets they weren't that isn't what they were writing but they were very much in that world yes as opposed to the commercial yes you know mccarthy land yes um and out came uh this story and i think kind of knowing that tells you everything yeah absolutely and it explains so much of the eccentricities yeah of the show yeah and it's like 1960s style avant-gardeness um which seems you know like there like are a thousand shows nowadays that follow this sort of structure but it's not it is like both old and new at the same time. Yeah, uh, there's a great in the this documentary. Jerry Orbach has some sound clip where he talks about the original direction of the show, and he was like, "Yeah, okay. we were we were told like we we should try and uh, uh, perform the show as if we were doing it just out of the back of a pickup truck, and we could just pull into your backyard and just do the whole thing right there, right on the tailgate, and just you know, and then drive up and go away, and that was the show." Um, it's like that, it, you know, that's the show. Yeah, absolutely um definitely and there is there's something very beat about that there's something very counterculture about that mm. and then they found the perfect theater for it too like yeah oh completely and this you know the stage of it it, it is it, it it does feel like brecht yeah but without well you know world war Two coming like exactly and it makes you wonder if some of the like the verse, not of the music, because it seems appropriate and poetic in the music, but some of the poeticism mm-hmm. of, like, the book mm-hmm. is beat generation inspired or parody of, like, this romanticization of love and things. Because I do think it changes from the beginning to the end. Like, all of Louisa's, uh, you know, this morning a bird woke me up and it was a lark or a peacock or something like that. And, like, I, yes. t- I touch my eyelids because they are never the same. Um, like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I think um, it's intended to feel ridiculous and not romantic. Yeah. It's, it's to feel complete parody. Yes. Complete parody. Um, yeah, and that's because it's Louisa. Right. Um, El Gallo is your beat poet of the mm, That's the fair. fair. Um, the main, the, the one that I want to get is 
Uh, I think in the new Broadway, Cash Recordings actually got a track. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, I don't know, like the Glenn monologue or something like that. Mm-hmm. The Glenn speech. Um, but yeah, it, and it's, uh, it begins with a forest where the woodchucks woo and leaves wax green and vines entwine like lovers. Try to see it, not with your eyes, for they are wise, but see it with your ears, the cool green breathing of the leaves and hear it with the inside of your hand, the soundless sound of shadows flicking light. Celebrate sensation. Recall that secret place. That's beat poetry. Yeah. Yeah. And that is completely different to... Louisa's fanciful, mm-hmm. you know, style. Yeah. Um, but even, you know, and I want to get back to Louisa's fanciful style, but even I think mm-hmm. his most famous monologue, The Moon Was Cardboard. The Moon mm-hmm. Was Cardboard Fragile. It was very apt to fray. And what was last night scenic may seem cynic by today, which is an amazing yeah. line. Absolutely brilliant. That is Shakespearean. Yeah. the place I in- really, like, I think you hear that opening monologue and you feel like... Oh. And it's well done. And it's dangerous. Like, that's the thing. Like, act one of the show, you're like, ha ha, and I get it. They're stupid, but whatever. We'll be back. But then yeah. he's like, no, 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 no. This is not what you thought it would be. Yep. Watch out. Exactly. Um, it's like raw into the woods. It's so good. I mean, I think that is, and it comes a little because the movie's fresh on my mind. Um, mm-hmm. But it is a character motivation question I had while watching the movie because of the way they've recontextualized El Gallo. And he can't be the narrator anymore because of this course. isn't a play. Um, and there are a couple lines about him hurting them and himself a little bit too along the way. Yeah. Um, and like as a character motivation question, like the the beginning El Gallo does – overtly and explicitly to cause these two to fall in love Uh but then the question especially if you're casting el gallo as one character as opposed to like this split personality the narrator who sometimes plays el gallo yeah are the things he does in act two also a strategy to ensure that these two love each other in a Mm. worldly wise and you know long living way beyond the plum being too ripe yeah um, I I think so. I think I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think it 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 still fits in the context of the show. Yeah. I think what you then struggle with though is finding motivation, mm-hmm. asking the why why El Gallo, why is he doing it? Why does there need to be someone? Right, because he's not a deity. No, do you know what I mean? So he's not like the the gods and ones on this island. Yeah, who are you know charting a course yeah. for for someone? Um, he just kind of does it because he thinks it's important yeah well it's almost like i mean the you know they they explicitly talk about it in the show and even more so in the film actually when they Mm. uh when the boy and girl run away to the carnival there's like a black and white movie version of romeo and juliet playing on the screen um but it is and like the authors talk about it that like act one of the show is romeo and juliet and is even more so a Midsummer Night's Dream, and explicitly Pyramus and Thisbe, the much yep. older show, peering through the chink in the wall, like, yep. even older than Shakespearean. Like, this is a tale of a time long past. But then there is also this direct, like, uh, comedia characterization built in. And in that, you have, like, El Gallo. My, when I teach com- uh, comedia in 
um, to high schoolers, I use, do you have Snidely Whiplash and Dudley yes, Do-Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And they're all Comedia characters, right? Yeah, and exactly. And El Gallo is Snidely Whiplash. And, like, uh-huh. why is Snidely Whiplash e- evil? Because he has a mustache, right? Because he yeah. wears a top hat. That's why he's evil. He's evil for no other reason than he's evil. And not that El Gallo's evil, but that's why he is his archetype, just because he is. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, gives him that kind of deityistic justification of, like, he does these things because he is called upon to do them by yeah. our pre-understood structures of the story. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you hit the nail on the head there when... uh you see, we're dealing in archetypes here. Yeah. You know, these these characters are all um, characters. They are the, the kind of pinnacle. Even the fathers are, I can't remember the name of the, the, the big character, the fat one. Right. Um, but they are, but I failed theater that. history, but they are all <laughs> Commedia archetypes. Exactly. Oh, I should know these. I, I mean, I should know them too. It's terrible. Yeah, I've done like a three-week course on it and everything, yeah. but it doesn't matter. I can physicalize it. Right. <laughs> that means nothing. That's great. That's, um, that's how I feel about uh, viola spool and viewpoints. Um, yes. I know, oh, how to, I know how to walk on a grid at a seven. Um, the book sits there unopened, <laughs> and it probably will yep. forevermore. Um, but yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, these these are the characters that we're dealing yeah. with. But that is, that um, is, I think, the thing about these, like, Commedia archetypes is, like, we have some touchstones on them because we've tried to study them and can't remember them. Like, yeah. even the layman theater person has an understanding of them. Exactly. Which speaks to, like, something very visceral and human and core about them all. Is like, you need to know nothing about Commedia dell'arte to understand, like, I can't pay the rent. You must pay the rent. I can't, right? Like, Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't a, a system like Stan created. Right. It, it, it rose organically yeah. through theater being performed, you know. I mean, in kind of the, the it was like, what do you call it, Pachinko? Uh, Plink, uh, Plinko, Plinko, the Price is Right game, and Pachinko, I think, is a more genericized version of that where you drop the coin in and goes bing, bing, yeah, bing, bing, and things, yeah. and then they all settle, with yeah, their own little boxes. and like this is how it's settled because we're humans and there's something about us that makes us do this. Yeah, exactly. It was just trends that came together. Yeah, um, and and fit. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, and they were just defined, and that's just how it's so easy to see these characters and to understand them yeah um and i, I really think that is actually one of the reasons why we're at seventeen thousand performances absolutely it's because it's why shakespeare still gets performed to this day and people love it you know it's dealing with relatable understandable yeah. characters yeah well and this is, i i put this in the show notes because it is one of those lines that res- resonates with me a lot even though it's part of louisa's bullshit monologue mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. But at the very beginning, I'm 16 years old, and every day something happens to me. Yeah. Um, like, I work with high school juniors every day, and that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, in like a, you know, when you are that age, when you're like coming of age, you know, whether, it, whether however you define that, through puberty, through knowledge, through like all these things. But you have this self-centered monologue about how everything you do is the most important thing in your world. And, like, you're the star of your own movie. And, like, how brilliantly that's articulated. Like, I'm 16 years old, and every day something happens to me. Yeah. 
like that whole like Louisa's whole opening from that monologue into much more yeah is just the perfect it is the perfect snapshot yeah of that mentality yeah well is this so this is something I wanted to ask you about and I'm bringing this on you a little bit but around the topic of youth and love that this thing sort of talks about mm. this, this is something I talk about with my boyfriend a lot but also in a lot of like gay community stuff and I don't know if we've talked about this on podcast we might have talked about it off podcast but right. we talk a lot about the concept casually of um gay age have i ever talked gauge. to you about this gauge Sorry. exactly <laughs> gauge um, <laughs> um gay age gay age if you're gonna define it strictly speaking speaking the number of years since you've come out however you define that okay so like your gay age like your gay age right how old you are in gay um and like however you want to define come out but to yourself to the world like being uh-huh. okay with yourself which is a thing that a lot of you know queer people go through we talk about this specifically in like a pattern that i seem to notice that at least in you know the gay cis male community which mm-hmm. certainly i'm speaking from a, a tiny tiny se- well a, a, a specific and sheltered section Mm-hmm. But there is a – there seems to be patterns related to gay age in a way that there are patterns related to, like, what you would call just normal straight age. Like, 18-year-olds act the same mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in their sexuality and gender expression and things. But if you come out for the first time – this is why you see 40-year-olds at gay bars. Yeah. But you don't see, you know, 40-year-olds at straight bars as much or in the same sort of way. In the same sort of way, yeah. Because – and I think it falls apart a little bit now that we're a little more okay with everyone being gay. Not that everything Mm – not that it's great now. But I do think there's something to be said about in your first one or two years of coming out, you're going to fall into the same pattern of – Wanting to, you know, live your fullest gay life to having relationships or whatever that means to you, I think, in a lot of gay mm-hmm. corners of the world. Um, but I I see – I don't know. There's something about that concept that I see in here, not explicitly about gay, but that there this represents something about heterosexuality in the learning of age – that I feel surrounded in that concept of gay age, about realizing the world and, like, there are these stages you go through of, like, thinking you understand and then actually understanding and then actually, actually understanding. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This time through, that resonated with me more than it had in the past. I like that. I like that a lot. I've something I've never... I've never thought about explicitly to do with age mm-hmm. more just like in relation to when you came out yeah because there so i came out when i was 14 mm-hmm. um and had a i don't know kind of an interesting journey but then i don't know well t- see if this see if this fits your yeah my my theory your, your mold so i uh kind of flew out the closet mm-hmm. um well no that's not necessarily true um, I was pulled out the closet. <laughs> uh, I was quite happy and safe, um, and I shared it with my best friend. 
someone overheard mm. it then got announced in the lunchroom and suddenly i was gay and i had no choice in the matter yes okay um and but uh i wasn't instantly bullied okay and in fact going from having no friends and being that weird kid mm-hmm. uh, who sat by himself at lunch uh to having people come up to me and be like oh let's go shopping together huh. you can give me fashion tips <laughs> Uh, obviously, mm. any teenager who wants friends is going to be like, absolutely. Right, yes, of course. Yeah. I lapped it up, so I became the stereotype, uh, even though that wasn't who I was at all. Right, but it's a, um, it's a different mask you put on. Yes. Oh, good, mask. Thank you. Um, then I realized what I was doing mm-hmm. and became quite homophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, self-hating mm-hmm. that phase came in yeah and then around the age of like 23 mm-hmm. did i settle and accepted yeah me for me and since then yeah i've been working it out so i don't know where that fits in in your thing I... but in my head yeah i came out at 23 okay fascinating i've because we've always we've right. always been gay. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's you know that's the lie that or that not the lie. That's the the un the the thing that people assume about coming out is like you don't come out once. The moment you come out, you spend the rest of your life coming out. Exactly. Um, um but the the kind of time that this will sound wanky, but the time that I came out to myself mm-hmm. <laughs> was when I was twenty three. That no, was I, the time. I think for that's me. fair. Like I would say, it came to a realization for me, like. I came out with pretty much no, no, you know, uh, hardship at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Sophomore mm-hmm. year of high school, um, and then was the only gay kid in high school, the only out gay mm-hmm. kid in high school. Um, but you know, the way gaydar works and the way high schoolers work, um, like there were plenty of kids who I knew. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, you're gay. Um, yeah, and like totally, and they're out now, but yep. later. And I see them and, like, you know, people I don't talk to at all and look like they're living their best lives. Don't get me wrong. Um, But, like, I see them go through phases I went through six years ago, ten years ago. Um, And, like, this I don't think is entirely related to the discussion, but I feel a little, um, I think, unjustified indignation about Mm -hmm. it all. um, Okay. Which is a thing I think I'm trying to get over about like, you know, why couldn't you just come out in high school? Like, yeah. And like, clearly for a ton of reasons. Um, but this is all tied to that. Like the, the humanistic inability to understand ourselves as we're going through things. Right. I'm 16 years old and every day something happens to me. You know, I combed my hair and it turned mauve. No, honestly, mauve. Mm -hmm. Um, like these, the way we interiorly define our life um, and that it is that it only exists for us, that we never externalize it. Um, and, but that it is still true to all of us that we have this interior narration centered around our identity, our development, you know, our sexual and gendered and relationship development around mm-hmm. love and infatuation. Um, mm-hmm. Like, that is a thing that the Fantastics really, 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 really touches on. And, you know, I am surprised how much I identify with it for how heteronormative it is. Um, yeah. 
And and that is why I find a lot of this surprising because a lot of these concepts are like so anti-heteronormative. But I see them, you know, all throughout this thing. Not that I think Schmidt and Jones are like secretly writing some, you know, gay diatribe on yeah, something. Yeah, absolutely not. But more that there is something so core about it and about youth and love and, you know, the perils of that. Youthful love. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think... I think it's because love is just a universal thing, you know. Um, as gay men, this is the fight that we're trying to make and mm-hmm. allow people to understand that our love is no different from anyone else's love. It's just, it's, all, it's all just love. Yeah. Um, and we do experience it in the same way. Maybe that's the thing at different times because there's times when you just you just can't you can't express your love how you would like to. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I think in the Fantastics, so I didn't expect to be talking about this, but yeah, in the Fantastics, um, you know, we're not talking, we're not seeing these characters grow up. They right. don't age. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a few months yeah. uh, that they have this experience um, and yet they go through these three very definite stages of their life. Yeah. Um, you know, they have this youthful innocence, this much more um, mm-hmm. idea into the act to I can see it right like I want I want to explore the world I want to be something bigger than I am um rather than thinking I'm the biggest is thinking I want to be bigger mm-hmm. going through that being told that actually you're no you're nobody right um and all you have is what you have uh and then to come down to that at the end and where you have that realization and you have kind of growing up right um you know that's the thing is i feel like there'll be very few people who will resonate with the end do you know what i mean who will be like ah yes i remember when i grew up yeah i mean i feel like that's the thing that that that's the kind of journey that we're all on and we might still be in the the middle of round and round yeah, you know I mean? that's fair. I, I I think the moral of the story is deep in December, it's nice to remember September. Um, mm-hmm. Like, don't ever lose the naivete of your youth. Absolutely. No, no matter how naive it was at the time. Yeah. That, like, it is, it is nice to remember that. Um, yeah. Like, you know, nothing is – I think n- there is no more beautiful – Ooh, bold bold statement, Tommy, you're crafting in your head. I think mm-hmm. there is nothing more beautiful than the last lines of the Fantastics. That is a bold, that's another Tommy bold statement. That's right a pretty here. bold statement. But deep in December, it's nice to remember, although you know the snow will follow. Deep in December, yeah. it's nice to remember, without a hurt, the heart is hollow. Deep in December, it's nice to remember, the fire of September that made us mellow. Deep in December, our heart should remember and follow that's the whole show right there that's it absolutely you yeah, know that is that's your that's your moral seeped in as um, much metaphor as the rest of the show is but you can unpack the whole thing if you've seen the show yeah i have a i have a really nice quote yeah um by a journalist called linda ellerby mm-hmm. who wrote the book the amazing story of the fantastics um and it is kind of about what it's about so um the quote is uh, will durant said 
civilization is a stream with banks. He said the stream is sometimes filled with blood from people's killing, stealing, shouting, and doing the things historians usually record. While on the banks, unnoticed, people build homes, make love, rear children, sing songs, write poetry, and whittle statues. Um, he said historians and journalists are pessimists because they ignore the banks of the river. But the story of civilization, he said, is the story of what happened on the banks. Sixteen years ago, I saw the Fantastics for the first time. This week, I will see it for the sixteenth time. Why? Because at least once a year, I need to be reminded about the importance of what goes on on the banks and how to get back to them. Deep in December, it's nice to remember. The rest of the time, it's necessary. Whew, that's really pretty. It's really nicely written, isn't it? And, yeah. Uh, I think that's that is that's it. That's the yeah. That's the thing people the resonate with. That's seventeen thousand performances. <laughs> Deep in December, it's nice to remember. Although you know the snow will follow. Deep in December, it's nice to remember. The heart is hollow. Deep in December, it's nice to remember the fire of September that made us mellow. Deep in December, our hearts should remember and follow. That, Jimmy, was the Fantastics. Uh, that was good. I enjoyed it. Thank you for talking with the Fantastics. Talking to me about the, with me to the, about Jerry Orbach. What? Sorry. I had a bit of a seizure there for a second. <laughs> I think you absolutely did. <laughs> glad we caught it on air. I'm glad we caught it on air too. Hey, what's, what are we doing next? You got a question for well, us? Oh, just you wait, sir. Hey, the Tony Award-winning star from this musical caused Jeff Bowen to say the word fierce for the first and second time. What show? What show could it be? If you would like to get in touch with us, you absolutely can. Our show Twitter is at Jim and Tomic, or you can come and join the Reddit discussion. The links are in the show notes in your podcatcher right now, or they're over at jimandtomic.com. And while you're there, you can check out our Patreon. Thank you to all of our new Patreon supporters. We really, really appreciate you uh, for financially supporting the show and whatnot. Um, also, reviews on Apple Podcasts are are and have been super super helpful to the longevity of the show so if you have a second want to leave us a review thank you thank you thank you yeah thank you so much um but most of all it just helps us out when you tell your friends about the show um words are treasures (laughs) (laughs) yes they are that's how the phrase goes and that's all we got for you thank you for listening cheers cheers
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Seven-year-old me saw Andrew Reynolds as James in Pokemon Live. 